0: This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast.
1: Um, We do want to talk some sports this hour. Yes. And on the weekend, Golden State Warriors are playing the San Antonio Spurs in (laughs) NBA action. Yeah. The two top teams in the West, probably the two teams that will face off for the Western Conference Championship, which Mm. will almost certainly, with all the injuries to the Cleveland Cavaliers, be the real championship. yes. Golden State sends out a lineup minus... Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, and don't forget they've they've also got um, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant hurt, so they're five starters, all superstars. They just said, "Ah, we're going to give him a night off." Mm -hmm. You okay with that? I'm completely
2: okay with that as long as I didn't have a ticket to the game.
1: Yes, well, (laughs) yeah,
2: because you know, if your head coach Steve Kerr, who obviously has the first and last say in this regard. You know, it's a long, grueling season. You know that San Antonio's a very good team. And you know that you're probably going to face the Spurs, uh, you know, barring an upset or two, in, you know, the ultimate series to go on to the NBA Finals. Um, So who cares in game number whatever the heck it was that you're going to rest all five of your guys? Because the Spurs. Uh, have done this in the they past. They
1: have. Absolutely they Manu have.
2: Manu Ginobili and Tim Duncan when he was playing. And
1: um, But did they do it all at once when the Spurs, <sighs> did the Spurs like sit their entire starting five? I don't five? know if
2: they sat everyone. It might have been two or three guys tops. But all five starters? No, I've never seen that. Never seen that.
1: See, I got a problem with this for a number of reasons. One, yes, the people who bought tickets. Yeah, Can you imagine showing oh, up for that game.
2: We're going to go see, or, or or saving all year to yeah. go see that one game. I'm going to yeah, see the poor, Spurs and Warriors. This is
1: going to be great. The poor dad or mom, yeah, who bought tickets <laughs> for their kid's birthday or Christmas. Yes, and the kid was just so excited. Your little seven-year-old son uh, or daughter could have been is a so Christmas excited. gift. Yeah. And you walk up and you go. Yeah. We're, you're gonna see some guy you've never heard of starting for the team. <laughs> yeah, you know, starting at point guard, Rick Zamprin. Yes, you know, we've signed you to a um, to a ten day contract. <laughs> contract, a forty
2: eight minute contract.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so for that, I think that's inexcusable. Yeah. Uh, that you are basically extending your middle finger to the fans of the league, sure. even if they're even if they are fans of San Antonio, they still came out to see oh, yeah. you. I could never have imagined. Well, let me back up. In 1982, January 16, 1982, or January 17th, it's one or the other, I can't remember. My dad got me tickets. I had front row seats to go see the Edmonton Oilers play the Toronto Maple Leafs at wow. Maple Leaf Gardens. Wayne Gretzky was in his biggest year mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. And the Oilers ended up losing that night, 8-1. to one. Oh, wow. Wayne Gretzky had a penalty shot on Bunny Larocque, And uh, I, remember, I remember everything <laughs> about that game. Yeah. I remember walking down Carlton Street, and the scalpers came up and offered my dad 400 bucks per ticket. I wow. would have been 14, oh, 13. Right. And he said to me, we can sell the tickets and go watch it at a restaurant or a bar, and right. you can keep your share for your ticket, or yeah. we can go. I'm fine either way. And I said, no, I want to go. Yeah. If I had walked in and they had said, Gretzky, Curry, Messier, Anderson, fewer, they're all sitting tonight, yeah. I would have been outraged. And I think I would have been justifiably yeah, outraged sure. by that. That's the first one. Second, the TV networks pay fortunes. And this was <clears> a Saturday night yeah. primetime marquee, time marquee yeah. game yeah. that you're basically telling the TV stations. Yeah up yours. Yeah. We don't care about you. <laughs> and th- but more than anything, <clears throat> this to me was showing great disdain for the competitive mm-hmm. process. You're not even trying. Don't tell me, "Well, yeah, we think our B-level guys can right. be competitive." You're not. You were giving away yeah. the game. You couldn't care less. La- and that to me is the biggest problem of it.
2: Yeah, and you know, I'm not I'm not condoning what Steve Kerr decided to do and and ultimately, you know, accomplished by resting his quote-unquote star players. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that and I'll just take the other side of this equation is you do know it's a long season. You do know the playoffs are coming. You have already lost arguably your best player in Durant. Uh, so why not, you know, rest all the other guys now to do it all on the same night? You know, it's is probably you're probably asking for trouble. You're probably asking for some kind of league note, not that he's going to get fined or reprimanded. But, you know, I, I'm sure Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, is saying, hey, Steve Kerr, Don't ever do that again.
1: Well, and again, I got no problem if you want to arrest these guys one a night. Sure. Steph Curry, you're off tonight. Don't worry about it. And and Durant, I mean... All five at once just seems like it's almost making a point, yeah. More than anything.
2: Well, and you know, from a league standpoint too, you can't force a coach to say, "Hey, you got to play all your guys." I mean, you're you're paying these guys. Uh, you know, the the fans have paid good money to see these these players play. Uh, you know, you mentioned the TV networks. You you have to play these guys. Well, a coach can just say, "You know what, Steve Curry is or Steph Curry is nursing an ankle injury, and and Clay Thompson has a bad shoulder, or whatever the case is." And you can you know you can weasel it. your way around that. Um, but I do get your point. I would I would have been livid if I was a ticket holder and not seen or, or and seen that starting lineup and, and thought, what's going on here?
1: Should leagues be putting things in place that I'll, if coaches are going to be doing this, and we're seeing it more now, we see it in baseball all the time. Yeah, Guys yeah. get a day off, and that's. But you, again, you never see. A couple of years ago, you you would see Josh Donaldson for the Jays get a day off or Bautista. Right. You never saw him sit the entire starting nine. Yeah, well, yeah. the last time you did. Was on the back back half of a doubleheader a couple of years ago after yes. they clinched, yeah, right. And, and but that was a unique sure. circumstance. It was a doubleheader, yeah. and everyone understood. So you'd seen them already. But should they be putting something in place that says you, you get, we're going to give you a piece of paper here, mm-hmm. and you can mm-hmm. f- write in, and you've got each player can have three. Passes or something where you can fill that out, but you can only put a certain number. Are they going to yeah. have to put some kind of rules That'd in be to interesting. say, That'd be interesting. All, we understand it's a long season. There's yeah. a lot of travel. It's wear and tear. We want our guys healthy in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be a way you can do this now to not make a mockery of it.
2: It's an interesting suggestion. The only, yeah, the, the ouch that a coach would always have is, you know, my player is injured, even though they're not. But you know, do you do you find a team? Do you take away a draft pick? Do you do something to, you know, negate that kind of thought process to say oh, I'm just going to rest all my guys? But because you I wouldn't want have
1: to. to lie. You see, so you could take away the lying, mm-hmm. and there is nobody who no commissioner is going to believe if that suddenly five your sure. five oh, yeah. stars It'll all, all came down with a nicked up injury right. at the same day. Now you can just say it's okay. We're mm-hmm. giving you the past to be able to give them a night off yeah. but you can only give it so many times, so many times. and so many players <clears throat> per night what would the penalty be though if you didn't
2: yeah like say you could do it 3 times a year you know Steph Curry you can only rest him quote unquote 3 times a year and you know fourth time when Steve Kerr wants to rest him
1: then you then you fudge the injury then okay but but you can't th- but you, it would really prevent you from doing what they did by sure. sitting everybody yeah you yeah you could he could still sit for a game he could, or he could play two minutes of a game. You throw him in to start, yeah, or you throw yeah. him off the bench or something, and you say he's a little sore. Yeah. I mean, But you know what? Basketball is the
2: perfect sport to do that in because, you know, you don't have 20 guys sitting on a bench like you do with, you know, the NHL or any you know pro hockey league. Baseball, you have, you know, 25 guys, a lot of them sitting in the dugout or in the bullpens. Um, you know, even football, you have, you know, 50, 55, 60 guys in a roster. Uh, it's easy for those teams to say, you know, these 10 guys are not playing this week because either they're rested or, or or injured. With basketball, you have, you know, 12 guys basically on a roster. Uh, to take five of them out, I mean, uh, yeah, that's... The stars would have to align in terms there, of them being
1: legitimately hurt. There are guys on, a, on an NBA 12-man roster, there are the last couple of guys that you literally, even in garbage time, yeah. never see. Oh, yeah. There are, <laughs> no. on every team... There are two 7 foot 2 white guys Just sitting, sitting at the end of the bench <laughs> who are making, going crazy when someone hits a big yeah, 3 but who who are making 5 million bucks a year but <laughs> yeah. never play yeah. and they're usually uh you know, like you've heard about them maybe in passing in college basketball mm-hmm, once mm-hmm. upon a time. Because they did
2: something special. And then you're
1: like, well, whatever happened to that guy? Oh, no, yeah. he's number 12 on the bench, yeah. you know, who never takes the sweats off. <laughs> Those guys are playing in games like this. Yeah. And again, it's like that That to me is is kind yeah. of – it It really tarnishes – to me, it tarnishes the league. It makes the league look sure. silly.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, and again, from the ticket holder standpoint, because I think they really ultimately are the biggest losers because, Absolutely. you know, fans – you know, unless you're one of those, you know, front row kind of season ticket holders who are expending you know thousands upon thousands of dollars every year, uh, most of those fans, I'm sure, that might have been their only game of the year. Yeah, which is too bad.
1: Or not even just of the year. That may be. And again, let me go back to the Wayne Gretzky argument as we go to uh, as we go to a break. I remember listening, and you've probably heard this quote too. Wayne Gretzky said that he played every game. Understanding that there was someone in the crowd who mm. this would be the only time mm-hmm. they would ever see him play, yeah. so he had to be good every night because that would be the only experience that person would have yeah. watching him.
2: That's this the way to may, play.
1: This may be the only time that these people are going to get out to be able to get a ticket to go see Golden yeah. State, and they saw and that's five they nobodies, <laughs> and they saw, saw Rick Zamper and Scott Radley. <laughs> Lisa Pulaski, Luke, Luke Vermeer, and <laughs> and Ted Michaels, which was a real, was well, a real shame of the whole thing. He was thing. a veteran. He, yeah, was the the, veteran. he was the white guy off the end of the bench. <laughs> You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM 900 CHML. Speaking of Loopy, did you hear about the Maple Leaf front office today?
2: No, I did not. I was so much in storm mode today. Well,
1: yeah. So they well, this was a bit of a storm. They raised. Oh, ticket prices. Ticket okay, prices yes, for yeah. next year. But did you hear what they said was their reason? No. Okay, so they- They're going to pay all the bigwigs more money? No, 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 okay, no, no. Okay. See, I think people, <laughs> even though they would be upset if the Leafs raised ticket prices again, I think if they said, yeah, but you know what? We've got to raise ticket prices. Ticket Things go up. Sure. People would be kind of ticked off, but they'd accept it. No, they said, we're doing this for the fans, Rick. This is for the fans, because okay. if we raise the ticket prices- This will deter scalpers, and people then can get cheaper tickets on the secondary market. What? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I said. Okay, wait a second. How does that math work? Because then if the tickets – okay, so if our ticket is $450 on average instead of $420, well, the the scalper isn't going to keep going up and up and up. He'll have to keep it at I sorry, I, I I'm trying to explain it, I really can't.
2: I'm I'm guessing they're thinking is the, the scalpers ROI is not gonna be as big as years past.
1: Yeah, but but
2: still they're gonna be scalping tickets.
1: To try and pass off a ticket <laughs> increase as for the benefit of the fans <clears throat> to protect the season ticket holders yeah. against scalpers.
2: That's ridiculous.
1: Is it Bit of a. Uh, I'm I'm working on that one. Yeah. It, it may take me a while to try and wrap my head around wow. that argument, but it's creative. They couldn't have come up
2: with anything else. Eh? It's, it's creative.
1: <laughs> Give them marks for that.
2: <clears throat> MLS has to realize scalpers will never go away.
1: No, and and the the part about it that they that is so unique is the better the Leafs are, the more scalpers. Right. So yeah. So, oh yeah. So question. good. They, yeah. Good that they're getting to be a better team, but you're not getting rid of scalpers yeah. by being better. No. Scalpers were there more. when they wouldn't win a game all year. Yeah. Now what, what's happening when, they, um, when they're when they doing okay? Mm-hmm. Hey, let's talk about um, hockey for a second yeah. and other things because there have been in the <clears throat> NHL this year a string of coaching changes. Yeah. Uh, Claude Julien gets fired in Boston, goes to Montreal. Montreal gets hot, gets better. Mm-hmm. Uh, the v- position that he got bumped out of in Boston, uh, Bruce Cassidy goes in. Boston starts playing better. Doug Waite goes to the Islanders. They start playing better. Mike Yao takes over in St. Louis. They start playing better. Uh, The only example of one that didn't work is in Florida when Gerard Gallant had his... uh,
2: But you know what? They were playing pretty good with Gallant Uh, there. That was almost the reverse.
1: Yeah, it was the reverse. But but, but you looked around the rest of the league, and these coaching changes are working. Do you really believe that coaches make a difference or simply that the change of noise... Mm Makes the difference. Do you believe that coaches really are doing things that cause their team to be yeah. better?
2: You know what? I think a coach is a coach is a coach in terms of systems, especially in hockey. There's there's only so many systems you can implement, right? Unless you're a real game changer and you're 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 creating the left wing lock or you you've just thought of the you know the neutral zone trap, which was huge back in the early '90s. Uh, unless you're that kind of game changing coach, most coaches are pretty much the same.
1: But even if those guys, yeah. Everyone else sees it on video Everyone now. Everyone copied it, and within right 10, 10 games, everyone's got it yeah. down pat.
2: I think it comes down to there's a new set of eyes on a situation. In some cases, that coach will make some lineup changes. Um, I think it is the, uh, just a different voice. I think the players are obviously it's a it's a it's a wake up call to the, to any team, unless it's you know, ten games left in the regular season, and you know, team A is making a coaching change in whatever sport. The impact is not real. Uh, Uh, tangible but when you're in a playoff race uh, or you're hanging on to a playoff spot or you notice that your team is slipping like you know Montreal was uh, a change at the top in the locker room in the dressing room I I think makes a huge difference because it's an eye opener to those players to say man we just cost this guy his job even though you know there, there may not have been some good relationships there but you know you come to the realization if you're a human being that you just you know Potentially cost this guy, uh, you know, uh, uh, a marquee job in the National Hockey
1: League. Well, and human beings, we tend in time to start blocking out the same voice that we hear over and over sure. again. Yeah. It, it it gets becomes white noise in the background. Yep. And so, I mean, you last summer, uh, I know you took on the uh, the. Gut-wrenching task,
2: <laughs> team number seven, orange of yes. coaching
1: the uh, the junior Azuri, yes. <laughs> um, and uh, the season started out, I understand, with a series of losses, and then uh, got very hot near the end in, yes. in soccer. But your son was on the team, correct? Yes. yes. And I don't know if you've experienced this yet, but you probably asked your son to do something that, if he's like every other son, mm-hmm. you know, in yep. one ear out the other. Yep. Oh, but yeah. then the assistant coach says, hey, do this, and he immediately yes. will do it because it's a different, different voice. that, And I, that's, that, to me, I don't think that when I look at these coaches, some of these guys have made careers. Mm-hmm. And you have to say, okay, there's probably something in Claude Julian's yeah. technique, whatever else, that can allow him to be a good coach. Sure. But a lot of these guys, I don't, I mean, when I look at a guy like Mike Yao.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, compared
1: I, to the guy that he took over,
2: Ken Hitchcock. No, Stanley Cup winners, yeah.
1: won gold medals at the Olympics. Yeah, I'm not looking all at all of a sudden him. he's not a good coach. Yeah, and I'm not looking at Yao as a guy who is some somehow brilliant right. or but he's just different. Yep. He's just different. Yep. And it it really makes you wonder why in a lot of these cases with the few exceptions of the guys at the very top why mm-hmm. these guys are able to squeeze such huge money out of yeah. their teams yeah. when all they are is a different sounding voice
2: yeah well i mean it's no different than you know at the workplace when all of a sudden you have you know a change in management you have maybe a, a company that takes over your company or there, there's some new top dog at the top and you take notice, and you might work a little bit harder that first mm. couple of months, or, or uh, you know, try to impress upon the new boss that hey, you you belong, you want to stick around, you want to mm-hmm. you know jump or climb the ladder. And I I don't see it being any different in the world of sports. These people are just people trying to you know climb that ladder.
1: I am shocked in sports that no owner or general manager yet. Because we always hear about coaches that are trying to do something completely different. I'm surprised that no general manager or owner has done something completely off the wall yet with a coach. Hmm. Because we always hear, if a coach, if you're you're right that a coach is primarily, all the systems are ultimately pretty much the same. If a coach then is primarily a psychologist and a motivator. Why has no team gone out just to hire mm-hmm. a professional psychologist right. to be their head coach? We can have a bench coach who looks after all the practices and stuff, but sure. the coach is going to be Tony Robbins. <laughs> I mean, as an example, we're going to bring in someone yeah. who is just about the mind games. Right, right, right. I'm shocked that no one has tried that yet.
2: I could see that working for a little while.
1: Yeah, but. I think especially
2: when you're talking about pro athletes who are making millions of dollars, and now you bring in a Tony Robbins-like character, I think his message will only go so far because the respect factor is that, in many cases, National Hockey League coaches either played in the league or they they accomplished something in their hockey careers. Not Mm -hmm. all of them. You know, Sparky Anderson's a great example in the world of baseball. He was a horrible baseball player. Scotty Bowman, same thing. Scotty Bowman, same thing. So you don't have to be a great... um, player in 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 your particular sport to have success but those guys uh, those two examples in, in Anderson Bowman really had success on the bench so they were doing something right so they had that inherent respect really throughout their careers but if you bring in a Tony Robbins type guy I think he can only stay for a little while in comparison to the Bowmans and the Al Arber's and all these other guys who were not the greatest players but they were certainly amazing coaches so maybe they had a little bit of both
1: Every guy, every athlete, male or female, now that is in high-level sports has a sports psychologist, mm-hmm. and they pay top dollar. Oh, yeah, and huge. they all credit these people with visualization and all this right. stuff. To me, I, I'm look, I'm waiting for the team that says there is a great sports psychologist. That's mm-hmm. our coach. Mm-hmm. That's our coach, and we can have four assistant coaches who run the nuts and yeah, bolts the of the team. And, yeah. But if if getting guys motivated, of giving a speech before the game, of getting them into the frame of mind on a long yeah. season, if that's what a coach does today, and it seems like when whenever a coach, when they say he loses the room, mm-hmm. which is usually the reason why he gets fired, what's the reason he loses the room? Guys have stopped listening to him. Right. So if you have a master motivator who could prevent that from happening to <laughs> me, there's the guy, if I'm an owner, mm-hmm. if I suddenly buy a team for a billion dollars, yeah. I'm going, off the deep end, and I'm hiring a, <laughs> a, a, a motivator sports psychologist as my head coach, and let's see how it works.
2: Interesting thought. It, it's the new money ball, or, or a new take on analytics. <laughs> you really got him off the deep end.
1: I just am I'm shocked that in, nobody I, has I'm tried it. i am curious to
2: see how that, how that would that. I'm work. shocked
1: that no. And you wouldn't obviously be able to have someone who's never been around the right. sport. There would have to be some, obviously, some a familiarity. Some kind of link. But if, it, if the person came in not pretending to be a great hockey player, mm-hmm. but saying, listen, I can make you a better right. athlete mentally.
2: Right. It might just work. I could see a minor league baseball team trying this out. There's how many dozens of minor league ball clubs?
1: There was a book that I read while I was away on vacation a while back, uh, and I can't remember the exact name. It was something like, the only rule is it has to work. And it was two guys who worked for baseball prospectus or one of these stats things and they volunteered to be general manager of a team in the lowest 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 minor league using all the money ball stuff and the numbers and everything else and they went into it we're going to do all the things that we have said we think would actually work but no (laughs) one has ever had the guts to try
2: really how'd it turn out
1: they didn't have the guts to try a lot <laughs> of the things, of <laughs> ultimately, because when you get into an actual situation... Right. You start thinking clearly? <laughs> well, you start realizing, i got to now go to Rick Zamperin, who's yeah. my cleanup hitter, who right. hit 40 home runs last year, and yeah. tell him...
2: You're going to bat eights.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we want you to now be a switch hitter, <laughs> and every time you come up, we want you to bunt. Right. And like that was one of the perfect examples, is they said... We, one of the things, that, as, as I recall the book... Every time the shift is put on, every single time someone puts on the shift, we mm-hmm. want our guy just to bunt the ball down third baseline. Wow. Just take the single. Every time. Take the single mm-hmm. and force them in time to get out of the shift. And they get in to the games and suddenly <laughs> the guy gets up to bat and they try to get him to bunt down third and they find, well, they can't do can't it. do it. And so now it's just a waste of an it. hour. It's all whale away then. <laughs> so it, it, these are interesting ideas. Well. And you're right, I'd love to see a team, though. I'd love to see a team try this and mm-hmm. see if a sports psychologist as a head coach could yeah. actually, um, well, something... Start, start with the minor leagues. That's something a good place is happening. Go. Something is happening when they switch coaches and I can't believe that it's all systems that have instantly been put in place right. that have changed it. There's got to yeah. just be something between their ears. I think so. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9
2: on AM 900 CHML.
1: Carleton University, a few years ago, built... Four years ago, as a matter of fact, not quite four years ago, built a $2 million workout gym for its students. 56 cardio machines, lots of free weights, 11,000 square feet. The whole thing is so students will go and stay in shape, get in shape, be in shape, do the things that you would want to do. Because, you know, it's easy when you go off to university to just let yourself go and eat lots of junk food and drink lots of beer. And suddenly you come home for your first trip home and... You got 20 pounds on you and mom and dad don't recognize you. It's not healthy. It's not good. So they got this big new gym there, but you may have heard the story about this today. Within the last couple of weeks, they have removed something from the gym. There is something there that you will no longer find anywhere in that gym, in that whole 11,000 square foot facility. That is Scales. They have taken out all the scales and not because the scales were broken rather because, well, there were some people who were very upset that scales were there and that scales, some people described them as a trigger that a scale, if you step on a scale for someone with an eating disorder or someone who's having a a trouble, a difficult time losing weight or getting down to the weight they want to be at, stepping on a scale can be quote-unquote triggering, and therefore rather than potentially make someone feel badly about themselves, let's just take away the thing that might make them feel badly about themselves so they can feel better about themselves. Now, it doesn't actually solve the problem, mind you, Because if you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to get in better shape, simply not having a scale doesn't change what you weigh. It just makes you feel better because now you're not seeing how you're failing or how you're not succeeding enough. But what do you think about this idea? Because as far as I'm concerned, and we've talked about university issues before on this show, we've talked about the fact that universities that are supposed to be, that are supposed to be, Places of great intelligence and thought and debate and discourse and intellect that universities, boy, they're doing some stupid things these days. This seems to me to be just another example of the idea. This is very similar in a lot of ways to the idea of, of. banning different kinds of speech because people are upset by hearing someone whose view is different from theirs. It's all about seemingly now on many university campuses, it's all about removing anything that I might disagree with or that might make me not feel 100% comfortable. And if it's something that doesn't make me revel in my self-glory, it must be gotten rid of because I'm here to be made into a beatified person who everything around me is going to make me feel good and feel solid in my own skin. That's what universities have become, a lot of them, especially down in the States. But it's obviously trickling up into Canada. But we have people, I remember back before the last election, That there was a university down in the States and somebody had written on the pavement in chalk, not engraved it, not said it. All they had written on the pavement in chalk was Trump, not anything about Trump, pro or con, just Trump. And the university, some of the people at the university went bananas and wanted that declared a hate crime. If they could find the person who wrote it, they wanted it declared a hate crime and have that person expelled because it was triggering and it was intimidating and it was making them think scary things. Well, this is similar. Is it not? I go to the gym and I want to get in shape, but I step on the scale and it tells me that I'm five pounds heavier than I want to be. This does not make me feel good. Therefore, I should not have to face this because I should only have things that enhance my self-esteem. Forget for a moment the fact that not enhancing your self-esteem is probably what makes you better. Now, not all the time. We don't want to have people getting hearing negative stuff or having to be challenged all the time, but at times. Having someone challenge you and make you understand that you're wrong or you haven't lived up to your expectations or you haven't been good enough, that would actually make a lot of people better because they would say, oh, I didn't get 99% in school just because I have to. All right, I got to work harder. I got 60, I got to work harder. Well, somebody from the university, of course, this has led to at Carleton taking scales out of the change rooms. This has led to a massive amount of blowback not surprisingly because it's quite frankly juvenile and idiotic it really is it really is and they've said okay so we've gotten rid of the scales which is going to tell us that we haven't we don't weigh exactly what we want but there are still other things maybe we need to get rid of some other things too maybe we need to ban on campus all mirrors So we can't see ourselves now to understand that I may be a little bigger than I want to be or not in the shape I want to be in. Maybe we need to get rid of anything that shows our reflection so that I can't feel badly about myself. Maybe, maybe what we need to do is in the campus clothing stores or whatever else, Get rid of all sizes on clothes. You just go in there and try it on, but we're not actually going to tell you what size it is to try it on. They're all just going to be thrown into a bucket together because if I'm an extra large, that might make me feel very badly about myself compared to someone who was a small. I might want to be a small, but I'm an extra large, and now what am I going to do? I, I, I suddenly am embarrassed that I have to buy an extra large next to my friend who bought a small. Right? Is anyone else seeing how stupid this actually is that this concept of we must remove anything that would make you have doubts about your own greatness or that would challenge your beliefs about your perfection or, your, or the rightness of your point of view or position. We must eliminate those things. There's no place on a university campus, so it seems we're saying, for anyone to actually be challenged to think that maybe there is a different way of doing things or they need to be better. How exactly do we find out who should be a doctor these days? I mean, I I trust and I believe that not everybody who wants to be a doctor gets to be a doctor. We know that's not the case. We know that to be true, that you not everybody who applies to medical school gets into medical school. It's very difficult to get into medical school. It's incredibly difficult. You have to have very high marks. But what happens, and I'm, I'm being serious about this, what happens someday when someone decides to take this to court and says, the fact that I did not have 95% in my high school or in my pre-med, in my undergrad, should not disqualify me from going to medical school. That is, you are deciding that I'm not good enough. You are discriminating against me on the basis of my grades. I, I should be entitled. I should be allowed. I should be, I have the right to go to medical school. As long as I pay my dues, my tuition, I have the right. You're saying that just because that person may be naturally more intelligent than I am, may naturally be a slightly harder worker, may naturally get the concepts of science and biology and other things, that they deserve it more than me? That's not fair. That's discriminating. I deserve, I have a right. Well, that's what we're talking about here. We're saying that anything that you don't like, anything that you would say doesn't put you in the best possible light, we've got to get rid of. Eddie, how are you tonight?
0: Uh, good there, buddy. How, I mean, uh, I'm just for, uh, wanted to uh, comment that uh, the young people of today are being raised as wussies, and they're all bubble-wrapped, and everybody's got to be uh, politically correct.
1: Some of them, for sure. Not, I, I wouldn't say all of them. I wouldn't say all, but some for sure. Yes, you're right, Eddie.
0: Society in general has adapted politically correct.
1: Eddie, I appreciate the call. Thank you for those thoughts. Look, I don't disagree with Eddie to some degree. And I don't believe that everybody, I don't even necessarily believe that the majority of people who are on a university of, on a university campus believe this that these uh, scales should be taken out or that opinions that differ from yours should be banned or shut down or shouted down. I think that most people, most people, understand that there is value in failure. There is value in being challenged on your opinions. There is value on hearing a different point of view. There is value on being told, no, you've got to work harder to achieve this as opposed to just being told, no, sure, okay, you can have that just because you deserve it. I think most people of all age groups, from Gen X to Gen Y to baby boomers to millennials to whatever else there is out there, I think they all, at least big chunks of them, see the reality of that, that there is, if you work hard in school, you open the door for you to have other options, that nothing is owed to you. I don't think most people believe, but there are some, and they yell very loudly, and they use words like triggered. And microaggressions and things that I don't even understand, and they couldn't possibly be logically explained because they're just code words for stupidity, quite honestly. Like,. When people talk about the fact that if I step on a scale, it's going to trigger me. It's gonna it's gonna cause me to have some sort of negative reaction. Well, I'll tell you what. Then I got a great idea for you. If stepping on a scale is going to trigger you to have a horrible reaction, you get any guesses what that suggestion might be? Don't step on the scale. Why must all other people not be able to have that available to them? Because you believe that somehow if it's in your area that it somehow is so negative to you that no one else should be able to deal with this either because it really it would it would defeat you and them. And again, to me, this whole thing only this goes to the scales are symbolic in this case of what we're seeing at universities. The scales it's not an issue of scales really because you could you can honestly If you want to, you can go to Walmart and probably buy a scale for 20 bucks and have it in your residence. It's symbolic. It's the idea, it's the suggestion that on campuses, on university campuses now, and not all universities, some, and we're seeing it here, we are making the point that only the things that support you and your beliefs and your philosophies and your side of things is to be allowed if the university wants to bring in a guest speaker who has views that are politically different from the one you hold no 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 we are not going to have that we do that language should not be allowed on our campus. We should not have to hear that person talk about that kind of thing. That's hateful, that's this, that's that. Rather than saying, yeah, let me listen, let me hear that person out, and then we will have a discussion about why I agree or disagree or otherwise with the person who is speaking. Rather than challenge our brains, rather than challenge our conceptions, our beliefs, rather than make ourselves better, We want to pull people down. Rather than trying to climb up to make ourselves better, if anyone around us disagrees, we're going to pull them down so they just can't climb past us. Or we're going to pull them down so that I can feel better at the level that I'm at rather than trying to climb up to be a better person. If you happen to step on a scale and it says that you're 10 pounds heavy, and I have done that more than a few times, my reaction, and I think probably yours too, my reaction is not to say, you know what? i got to get this scale out of the house because this scale is bringing me down. This scale is triggering me to have poor self-esteem. What most people do when they step on a scale or hear something that differs from them or when they experience some kind of failure is they say, huh, if I want to lose those 10 pounds, if I want to get back to the weight that I'm supposed to be at, if I want to get my marks up to a certain point, if I want to be a certain have a certain career or do a certain job or whatever else. This this is what I have to do to get better. But the sad part of everything is that universities, and again, there are umpteen examples of this across the states especially, that universities rather than having the backbone to stand up to their students and say, no, we're, I'm sorry, we're not taking the scales out of the gym the scales are there for a purpose. The scales help the people who want to weigh themselves. Rather than saying that, the universities in so many cases are backing down and saying, oh, yes, that, exactly right, yes, those scales, it's a horrible, horrible thing that we would have people weigh themselves and somebody might be triggered. And that, that's a terrible thing that someone might feel poorly about themselves because they stepped on a scale. What kind of ridiculous decision is that, that you would have a university that would say, rather than encourage people to fix the problem, we'll simply remove the symptom. That would be, that university would be like someone coming to a doctor's office who's got a terrible rash. And the doctor simply saying, all right, well, let me just give you some stuff that will ease the itching. Rather than saying, here, let me give you something or treat you in a way that will stop the cause of this rash. I mean, the first doctor who just wants to give you the itch cream, he's basically saying, I'm just going to let that rash stay there, but we'll make it so it doesn't bother you as much. The real doctor is saying, let me solve the problem. Let me deal with the issue at hand here. And that's what we're talking about here. Rather than having all these things at university campuses, whether it's freedom of speech or freedom of thought or differing opinions or scales in a gym, it's about I don't want anyone to tell me something that I don't want to hear because that challenges my suppositions, that challenges my views, and you're not allowed to do that because I'm right and you're wrong and I should not have to hear you say wrong things or things with which I disagree. Do you understand how crazy that is now? I would be, I I don't know how much, if any, of this, I, I haven't heard a lot of stories, to be honest, of this stuff going on at McMaster, for example. But I would be terribly, terribly disappointed with our university here in town. If they were bringing in, for example, a guest speaker who might have views that are controversial, who might have views that are slightly different or off the usual thing that is now politically accepted. If you brought in someone who who might say something that is going to challenge you in wherever you are, I would be very disappointed if there was some controversy and some people started screaming and McMaster's administration said, okay, we're going to send the person home. They can't speak here anymore. Maybe that's happened. I don't know. On either side of the political equation, if you're a conservative, you should not be yelling down someone who is liberal for having the chance to speak and to express their opinion. You can disagree with them, but let them speak. Let Hear them out. When you hear them out, you can probably then better explain why you disagree with them and vice versa. If you're in the gym and it's the same thing, it, it, I know it doesn't sound... Uh, on its face, like it's the same thing. But it's the same thing. If you're in the gym, the reason you don't like hearing someone whose opinions are different is because it challenges you and maybe makes you think that someone is saying you are wrong. If someone, ha- if you get into a discussion with someone and it's an argument or it's a debate, they are saying, here's what I believe. And you can interpret that as saying, they are saying, I am in the wrong. It's the same with a scale. If I step on, it's telling me I'm a failure. I'm wrong. I'm not doing something good enough. And so rather than say, fine then, work harder, fix the problem, don't step on the scale if you don't want it, we're saying, no, we agree, we don't want your delicate sensibilities to be affected. So we will simply remove anything from your line of sight or from your vision or from your world that could possibly challenge you because we want you to get through university unscathed in your psyche. What happens when you get out into the actual real world and someone who's a boss of yours or someone else says something that's contrary to your opinions? Well, we're not going to prepare you for that. I just, the idea that people at a gym cannot even weigh themselves now to see if they're making progress is no different than a course not allowing the professor to give grades to see how you're doing. We haven't got there yet, but there's time. There's lots of time. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. It has taken a long time for the stains and the stories and the horrors of what happened in World War II to fade away. And I don't mean from our memories, I'm talking about the people who were involved in them. Because there are still a few people around who were involved in it. They're very elderly now. Keep in mind that this was in the 1940s. And so assuming they were 20 at that time, you're talking about a lot of people who would be at or close to 100 years old now. And I bring this up because there's a story that is going on right now, Uh, the country of Poland. Poland is going to be seeking the arrest and extradition of a guy in Minnesota who has been identified and found to be the commander, the former commander of an SS-led unit during the Second World War that burned Polish villages and killed civilians randomly. Now, what's really, I mean, what's interesting about this, and some of you know your war history, some of you know some of your war history, the guy that they're talking about is Ukrainian. And back then, all the Nazis, or at least all the people who were working for the Nazis, weren't necessarily German. They had some foreign... um, SS units that were volunteers from other countries. And this was a guy who was a volunteer, a Ukrainian volunteer, who led this unit. And according to the story, um, what had happened was at least they know of at least one situation. They say there are others. Um, but witness accounts for villagers and members of his unit corroborated the testimony that the company set buildings on fire and gunned down more than 40 women, men and children at his instruction back in the war so the long that's a long introduction to say Uh, they finally found this person he's living in Minnesota he's been living there for years and years and years I guess he escaped after the war came to the States settled has lived quite happily I presume quite anonymously for decades but he's now been found and they want to bring him back and have him stand trial for war crimes The tricky part is this guy is 98 years old now and his family says, whether true or not, his family says he has Alzheimer's and is not well and they don't buy the fact, first of all, that there is any evidence of his participation in any of these horrible things. But the authorities say, no, no, we've established 100% we know who this person is. We know what he did and therefore he should be coming back and be standing trial for this. So what do you do? What do you do? Because there is no question. There is absolutely no doubt that the actions for which he is accused are horrifying and evil and criminal and and I would I am not a war crimes expert or a lawyer, but when you are simply gunning down innocent men, women, and children at a village that are not involved, In battle, that seems to me to fall into the category of a war crime. You've got this guy whose background, whose closet is filled with these skeletons and who 40 or 50 years ago should have paid for this, but it's now coming time to pay for it now, it seems. But he's 98 years old. So there are other people who are saying he's 98 years old. What's the point even now? of extraditing him to Poland and having him stand trial because the chances are he's going to die before the trial even comes around. Not many people live to be 100. And if he does live for, through the trial, he won't be serving much time because he he's 98 years old. They're not saying we should ignore the actions that he took. They're saying it's just kind of too late really now to be doing much about this. What do you think? 905 645 or star 9900. Is it ever too late to pay for war crimes? Or does there come a point when it just becomes not very practical or not very useful? Or doesn't matter. He could be 140. He could be the oldest man in the world. If this is what he did in his past, he should pay for it before he dies. What do you think? 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Bill joins me on the air now. Bill, how are you this evening?
0: I'm fine, Scott. Uh, I would just like to say that I don't believe it should make any difference about his age, about his mental capacity, um, how sick he is. I think it's important that anybody that's committed crimes of violence, um, which could be murder or any kind of violence or sexual crimes. There should be any term limits. I think it's very important, especially the nature of the crime that this man is accused of, that it should be brought to trial. And, of course, his crimes exposed for everybody to hear what he did because, unfortunately, there are still people, some who are, we think, educated, that aren't aware that... There were crimes committed during the Second World War, like the Holocaust. In fact, I believe, and you may know who I'm talking about, I believe there was somebody running for a position as an MP or MPP who didn't even know about Auschwitz. And uh, she was exposed that she didn't know anything about it. And so there's a person who is in a, what we would assume, a uh, an important position. So I think it's important to always expose these individuals, and age shouldn't make any difference.
1: Bill, are, and, is, Bill, is part of what you're saying, Bill, if I understand this right, that it's got less to do, and, and, and if I'm not getting your words right, correct me, but it's got almost less to do with him than it is with the instruction to the rest of the public and the reminder historically of the evil of this that by bringing him to trial, we will be instructing other people who don't necessarily know. The fact that he may never serve a day in jail is, you know, at this point, secondary?
0: Well, I don't, I don't imagine anyway if he was convicted, and I assume he would be if he is brought to trial, that he would serve any time. But just to further explain myself, this would apply actually to any kind of crime, which involves murder, violence, or sexual crime. There shouldn't be any term limits based on age or mental capacity, because the crime needs to be exposed and you know, but but in this particular case, there's also the historical context involved, right? Uh, so that's why I would I'm only emphasizing that aspect of it. Bill, there but are a lot of. Yeah, sorry. No, no,
1: no. Listen, it's it's. I, I agree with you. I'm. I, I have a. There is a little tiny, tiny part of me. I'll be honest. that says when he gets to be 98, there is. A, not, not sympathy towards him for what he did, that it becomes a very costly endeavor for not very much reason, but that's the tiny, tiny, tiny little piece of me. The vast majority of me says exactly what you did. There are people still out there who don't know their history and don't know the reality of what happened. And if bringing this person to justice and making him stand trial and serving as a reminder to people of the horrors that happen and what the evil that people can do, then it makes it worthwhile.
0: Uh, just as a rem- and just to further, just to end it, I'm sure this man showed no humanity or concern about, say, some other 98-year-olds or sick people when he committed the crimes he did.
1: Bill, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Well right. said. All right. Uh, no, v- very well said. I mean, that is um, that is one of the most tragic things about everything that happened in the war was the, the stories, 6 million individual stories of people who were killed. And no, there was no compassion shown to them. There was no compassion. It was, it was a, it was an industrial murder complex that was going on and there was no thought to the fact that certain people were weak or infirm or whatever else. We just, they, they just had to get rid of them. But what do you think? We got a minute or two left here if you want to get in 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Now I got an email. I'm not going to read the name. I'm not going to say who the name is from because I'm not sure I understand it and I don't want to n- say the o- opposite of what they're trying to express, but they're they're basically saying how long has the person been in the country? I'd say acts of war don't count as a reason to banish someone from a country. Well, If I'm reading that right, they're saying, no, let this guy stay because, you know, it's an act of war at a a time gone by. Problem is, when he got here, when he got to the States, when he got to North America, he would have had to have filled out on his immigration paper who he was and what he'd done and why he was coming here. And I guarantee you that he didn't fill out the fact that he had been working for the SS in the war. So he got here on a lie. And based on why he lied, seems to me that's very much of a reason why he should be sent back. But it's 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 trickier than I would like to think. It, it's you wish that all these people had been found when they were younger, when they were healthier, when they were able to mount a defense because they everybody no matter how hideous their background is, everyone is entitled, has a right to a defense against what they're charged with. I don't know if he could do that now, but you wish that all these people had been found 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago when A, they could mount a defense and we could have it while it was fresh in people's minds and B, if in fact they were guilty that they would have had to serve some kind of penalty. This man has, by the sounds of it, served quite a nice life in North America. And even if he's convicted of this now, what's the cost? Very little. Other than maybe his r- reputation ruined from those who actually who believe the allegations, because there's a lot of people, specifically within his family, uh, who will not believe it. If you didn't get a chance to call uh, Radley at 900CHML.com, send a note. Let me know what you think about this one. I think it's a fascinating story. It's a, it's a, it's, it may not be as tricky as we're even discussing it. It may be a very simple thing. He was a war criminal. He was a member of the SS. He killed civilians and women and children and innocent men. Um, where, where's the, Where's the difficult decision to make there? You charge him and you extradite him and you put him on trial.
0: The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900, CHML.